it is a complex world. But I think when we communicate with people, I think when we look for solutions, I think that's going to drive a lot of innovation. Sometimes the simple is the most elegant. I think that's advice that I try to adhere to is, and, and a lesson that I learned is to really try to make things simple. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to episode number 10. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capital Girls City Center with my guest, Joanne Meyer, Principal at Provise Consulting. How are you this afternoon, Joanne? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you, Paige. Before we go deeper into your current role, could you please tell our audience of how you got started in this industry? Sure. So it's a a long, long, long time ago. When I was a junior in high school, I went to a very small school in south central Oklahoma, and I was in a trigonometry class. I had just taken what I thought was my first, was a business class. It was shorthand, so I'm not sure that qualifies, but that's what I thought business was. And I had always assumed I would probably go into business, but I did not care for that class at all. I went to my uh, teacher, his name was Keith Dotson, and said, Mr. Dotson, my favorite classes are math and science. Should I be a teacher? Is that what I should do? And he got a very funny look on his face, and he said, well, Joanne, you could be an engineer, to which I'm sure I had a total blank look. And he said, it has nothing to do with trains. Um, But I had no idea what an engineer was. About three weeks later, he tried to explain it to me. About three weeks later, he said, Joanne, I just received a flyer for a program at Southern Methodist University this summer where they are trying, they're interested in students that want to go into engineering and helping them learn a little more about that, and I think you should call them. So I did that. I ended up spending four weeks at Southern Methodist University in a program called Experiences in Engineering Education, and after that... I knew I wanted to be an engineer. So went to, applied and, and uh, was accepted. I went to the University of Oklahoma in the engineering program. I didn't know what kind of engineering I wanted to be, but one of my professors, I don't remember his first name, but his last name was Venkatesh. Dr. Venkatesh said, why don't you go into petroleum engineering? Uh, to which I said, okay, sounds great. And that's kind of how I ended up in the oil and gas industry. I had my first job with mobile oil. Mm-hmm. And that was a roustabout. My summer between my junior year and senior year in college, I actually roustabouted steel-toed boots, hard hats, digging ditches, the whole thing. But I loved it. Uh, it was challenging, but I loved it. And then I was hired by Mobile and started actually back at the same field in an engineering, an operations engineering position. After two and a half years, I like to say I, someone in their great wisdom decided that a two-and-a-half-year blonde female should be a production foreman so they made me a production foreman and it was a little baptism by fire to say the least learned a lot uh, went off to the big office did all of the engineering rotations did a few business uh, rotations with mobile ended up in california for them as a technical operations supervisor at about the same time that shell and mobile at the time 
were forming a joint venture between those two companies. And so a new company was formed in 1997, ERA Energy, and I left Mobile, joined ERA, spent the next 11 years with ERA, and then spent a couple of years with ExxonMobil back here, and that's kind of how I got in the oil and gas industry. Wow, that's all the super majors. <laughs> right, I got the, the two of the big ones covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, two of the big ones. Yeah. So now we, that we know where you began, can you kind of go through in detail and elaborate on some of those different jobs, your current role now? Sure. So when I was at ERA, that was a tremendous experience. It was challenging to bring two very well-established, well-respected companies. It was not all of Shell and Mobile. It was just the California properties, just the upstream. So no refineries, pipelines, anything like that, gas stations just the wells, but still that was a big challenge. Now, was that onshore or offshore? Both. Uh, In fact, I spent about six years, I was the operating vice president for the offshore properties, the platforms that had come into ERA from Shell. They were off the coast of Huntington Beach, Long Beach, Okay. Uh, there we had a few platforms there. That was a very challenging. We also had wells that um, were operating in the last remaining wetlands uh-huh. on the west coast of the U.S. So with a lot of environmental challenges, uh, technical challenges as well, but a totally different environment than certainly what I had operated in in the middle of Oklahoma. Right. <laughs> not a lot of not a lot of water. But I spent most of my time at Era. In fact, all of my time in operations management. Okay. Ultimately, I ended up being a vice president, and there were three geographic areas within ERA. I had responsibility at one time or another for two of those. So that's um, a lot of challenges at ERA. We were uh, a new company at probably one of the lowest points in recent history for oil prices. I think we hit $10 and something for heavy oil in California. So uh, it was a lot of challenges. a lot of fun creating that new company. We ultimately had a great deal of success, so it, it was a very fun time. I was in California for 13 years. My family, most of my family was still here, so in Oklahoma and Texas, so decided it was time. I had a son, one son that was a senior in high school, and decided it was come, time to come back a little closer to home. We moved back here, and I spent a couple of years with ExxonMobil. Mm-hmm. Um, after a couple of years there, then I went to Accenture. Okay. And I was... Um, executive advisor for their upstream. They were trying to grow their upstream uh, capability and program. And so I spent three years with them, did a lot of fun things there, went to Moscow, loved that. Oh, that's Uh, neat. That was great. And then decided to go out on my own. And so that's how I ended up at Provise. Perfect. Wonderful. So can you explain your current role at Provise? Sure. What we really focus on is process improvement Mm -hmm. in the upstream oil and gas industry. And that's primarily around operations management or production engineering. So a lot of what we have done so far has to do with technology Mm -hmm. and helping companies that have had uh, offerings or programs in other parts of the industry to understand how they can use them in the upstream, helping them get some introductions there, and actually then trying to help even upstream companies understand how to use data Mm -hmm. to make better decisions, and then some of the technology that's available. And what's the strategy around that? The strategy really is, you know, the upstream industry is very, you know, trying very quickly Mm -hmm. to get their arms around the Internet of Things or uh, big data analytics. 
And so the strategy really is around helping them understand how to use data to make decisions. A lot of companies spend a great deal of money yes. on new technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at a conference early June called the Data Driven Production Conference. And it was interesting. There was a young man or gentleman from uh, Chevron. I cannot remember his last name, but his first name was Yambo. And he made a comment that two-thirds of business leaders believe that they're going to lose competitive advantage if they can't learn how to take advantage of the digital revolution. And then there was a gentleman from um, Statoil who made the comment that 80 or 90 percent, it was very high, of the investments in digital technology don't reap the benefits, don't realize the return that they had hoped for. So there's, I think there's a lot of work. I think a big challenge in the upstream oil and gas industry, and maybe every industry, it's just I don't know a lot other than the upstream oil and gas, is it's really not it's totally about the, the technology. It's a lot about people and behaviors and getting people to change the way they work. And so that's a challenge, and that's what the process and process improvement that we try to do at Provise is about. Excellent. Any other challenges? Back when I was aroused about, um, there weren't a lot of women around. I was not the only woman, but it was new. Mm -hmm. And there were, not surprisingly, challenges around working together. And that's the way I look at it. I don't think that there were people that just absolutely refused to work with me or But there were challenges, and I think it was just everyone trying to figure out what to do next and how to work together. I think some of those challenges remain today. Maybe not exactly, but I think some of those challenges still still remain. I always had a a little rule of thumb that if, if someone did or said something to me that I found offensive, my my approach was to always give them the benefit of the doubt because my belief was if they were really kind of jerks, I would have more than one opportunity. And more often than not, like I said, it truly was people trying to understand how to work together with this workforce that was a little more diverse than they had been used to for decades. Right. And the communication problem, regardless of whether women are involved or not, is still there, correct? That's a, that's a very good point. I think that is a, a good point is that many times they are communication issues. They are cooperation issues. Gender may play a role, but it may be the minor role. And the the larger issue is an issue that that all of us have as we try to work together with other people. Right. So if you had one piece of advice to give to our audience, what would it be? So going forward, I think I just recently, um, I'd like to tell you that I heard this piece of advice from someone, and I'm going to pass it on now, and I'd heard it from a great author or a philosopher or business leader. I actually got it out of a fortune cookie. But I think it's so uh, apropos, particularly for us. And the, the little saying goes something like this. He who is afraid to ask questions is ashamed of learning. And I think what was spoke to me so much about that is Sometimes it's tough to feel like that you need to know all of the answers, and so you're afraid to ask a question. But I like this thought that if you don't ask the question, 
you really aren't embracing this concept that we all should be learners and not knowers. And I think that's so important today for leaders, but everyone else. There's a lot going on, and I realize it's in the world in general, but I think the upstream oil and gas industry is really getting impacted by this. You know, whether it's whether or not it's how quickly technology is changing, it's just the changing landscape as well. Who would have guessed even 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, the impact that the shale revolution would have geopolitically? I know. Would be, you know, who would have guessed that? That's a huge change. The big crew change with a lot of talent and people retiring and moving on, that's a big challenge. There's a big challenge associated with the differences in the newer generations that are coming in and the way they want to work. So I just think that everyone recognizing uh, the, the importance of being a learner, asking those questions to better understand is really important. So going forward, I think that would be the the advice. I really like that. I really do. Out of a fortune cookie, huh? Out of, like I said, I'd like to tell you it was some great philosopher. It was a fortune cookie. It happens when it happens. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so what book influenced you the most? There's probably two books okay. that I would have to kind of give equal footing. One of them was personally kind of impactful. I was at an Association for Manufacturing Excellence conference back in probably 2005, 2006. And there was a gentleman who's very well-renowned in the lean manufacturing world. This is awful, but it was either Jim Womack or Jim Wright. I can't remember one which of the gyms. one. One of the gyms. I want to give them credit. <laughs> and they stood up during their keynote. I think someone asked them the question, what's the best autobiography you've ever read? And the gentleman said, Catherine Graham's personal history. And I remember thinking, well, for heaven's sakes, if that man is going to stand up there and say that this woman had probably the most impactful, I need to read that. I did. It's not an easy read. It's very, it's long. So Catherine Graham, if, if that is not ringing a bell, is actually, she was the first Fortune 500 woman CEO, and it was for the Washington Post company. So she was the president, the chairwoman of the board, the publisher of the Washington Post at one time or the other from the late 60s, I think up to even like maybe early 91 or so. A lot of history happened in then. But what was most impactful about her book is that she talked about all of her self-doubt. She talked about the mistakes that she made and how she wished she had done that differently. She talked about crying in a room, actually sitting with Warren Buffett. All of those were things I'm not sure I had ever thought was okay. You know, when I looked around always, I always thought these guys always had it all figured out. They didn't ever make mistakes. I loved reading about this woman who was so accomplished, so successful, so respected, who literally said, I didn't get it right all the time. But she still did amazing things. I'm just human. Yeah. And, and like I said, I love this part where she talked about crying in front of Warren Buffett and how embarrassed she was. But you know what? You're human. You know, I mean, we're human and we all have emotions. So that is one book. The other one is totally different. In fact, you might almost call it a little workbook. And it's by a gentleman, Pascal Dennis. And it basically is a strategy deployment, almost workbook. I mean, it literally has examples of forms to use in the back. And it's written in a story format about a company called Atlas Industries. But the strategy deployment, what his big focus is on it's very common when people embark on these big programs to do a lot of planning, designing, you know, upfront work. And then, you know, 70 or 80% of your resources, people and time are devoted there. 
And then when it comes to implementation, everybody just assumes, oh, well, everybody will get it immediately. His book is all about execution. So his philosophy is you need to spend a whole lot less time up front on the design, on the planning. You need to devote all your resources to helping people actually do and change what they need to do. So it's all about execution. Interesting. Very simple book. I love it. I mean, many times I carry it with me. And then it's like I said, it's got worksheets. It's, it's a great little book. Who would you say is your most respected competitor? Oh, that's a great question. Interestingly enough, I, I might feel a bit arrogant to being as small as, as I am to put myself in the, in the same bucket or category with people that I think are competitors. But there are a lot of people who focus on process improvement. Perhaps my biggest competitor is a lot of people who have had very successful careers in upstream oil and gas, who have either retired or decided to do something for the last little bit of their career. And there's a lot of knowledge out there. There's a lot of expertise. There's a lot of relationships. So probably the other people, uh, like myself, I hope that we are more collaborators than competitors, but that's probably who would be the biggest competition. Okay. What would you say your most important lesson learned would be? One time about 15 years into my career, I don't know that it was advice, but it was at the time when Shell and Mobile were being merged or bought out, whoever got the bigger end of that deal. The president of Mobile Exploration and Production U.S. came to California and spoke to all of his managers. And as he was describing the next steps, how people were going to be impacted, one of the managers in the room stood up and said, this seems really complicated. And this man, his name was Mike Yeager. He went on to be president of BHP Billiton Mm -hmm. uh, for a while, said, you're right, it is complicated. And it is your job to make it simple. I've never forgotten that, and I really appreciated that. He didn't try to say, oh, no, it's not difficult, or we're going to make it all right, or we're going to do it all for you. He said, you're right. This is not easy. It's not easy to understand for the masses. It is complicated. It is complex. But your job, given where you sit in this organization, is to make it simple. I think there's a lot to be learned for striving for simplicity rather than complexity. It is a complex world, but I think when we communicate with people, I think when we look for solutions, I think that's going to drive a lot of innovation. Sometimes the simple is the most elegant. I think that's advice that I try to adhere to is, um, and, and a lesson that I learned is to really try to make things simple. That's pretty brilliant because coming from a regulatory background, your job is to simplify the language between everyone and the government. Right. Yeah, I like that. That's that's great. And I think it's hard work that you can't do unless you really understand it. Right. So it forces you to, to do a lot of work. So I think that's probably um, one of the big lessons that I learned. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. What's your favorite podcast? <laughs> that's a good I'm going to be the first to admit this is my favorite podcast. Awesome. <laughs> and I'm going to say that because I don't listen to a lot. But since uh, getting this invitation for you, I've spent a lot of time playing around and What I like about this notion of podcasts, I'm not an expert at all, not very familiar with many of them, but I love the opportunity just to listen to people in different perspectives, and I don't have to go to a conference, and I don't have to even make a trip downtown for a, a breakfast, right? You can just at any time listen to it. So I'm enjoying this one so far. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. 
Well, now I feel it's only appropriate that we announce this week's winner of the $200 steak dinner from the Capitol Grill, Matt Lehman, GIS analyst at Noble Energy. Congratulations, Matt. Congratulations. For a chance to win a $200 steak dinner from the Capitol Grill, visit www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast every week, enter your information, and listen to next week's show to see if your name is chosen. As always, a link will be provided in the show notes to make it easier to enter. If you are not familiar with Bulwark, they are the leader, not to mention the largest manufacturer of flame-resistant clothing in the world. So after you're done signing up for that steak dinner, be sure to check out the rest of Bulwark's website to learn more. And since Oil & Gas Global Network's calendar is filled with events, we also need to thank our on-the-road travel sponsors. Lee Hecht Harrison. LLH is the world's leading talent development and transition company that helps businesses simplify the transformation of their talent and workforces to accelerate results and reduce risk. Also helping individuals build their careers within their companies or in transition to new opportunities. Visit www.lhh.com for more information. Also, we've got Total Land Technologies, which has the world's most advanced field land management system, the Landman's Virtual Office. Visit www.totalland.com for more information. Thank you so much for joining me today, and we've got our hors d'oeuvres to eat now, Joanne. I know. I'm kind of jealous of, of this, this person that's going to get the dinner, because this is a great place here. I, it, it's it's, it's immaculate. There. Thank you for having me, Paige. It was fun. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.